ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله عليه وسلم اما بعد we continue with the explanation of the 40 hadith of Imam An-Nawawi rahimahullah ta'ala rahmatan wasi'a and we are still with al-hadith al-hadi ashab the 11th hadith an Abi Muhammad al-Hasan ibn Ali ibn Abi Talib radiyallahu anhuma sibti rasulillah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa rayhanatihi قال حفظت من رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم دع ما يريبك إلى ما لا يريب إلى ما لا يريبك رواه الترمذي والنسائي وقال وقال الترمذي حديث حسن صحيح. So this narration is on the authority of Abu Muhammad al-Hasan, the son of Ali, the son of Abi Talib. May Allah be pleased with al-Hasan and his father Ali. And he is the grandson of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And he mentioned that he memorized from the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam the statement, leave alone what makes you doubt for that which doesn't make you doubt. And we covered that this is a principle from the principles of the deen. And that is that we base our affairs off of certainty and that which is doubtful we don't turn towards and we leave off doubtful matters for the purpose of saving our integrity as well as our deen as the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam he mentioned and we covered in the previous narration and whoever stays away from the doubtful matters, then he has freed himself regarding, regarding his religion and regarding his honor, regarding his integrity. So it's important that we stay away from that which is doubtful and we work upon that which is certain. Also, we covered the principle al yaqeen la yazul bishak. That certainty is not removed by doubt. So that which a person is certain of, then he's not, he should not allow doubt to come in and remove his certainty. Certainty can only or should only be removed by something that's certain. As an example, you have certainty that you made wudu. You're in the salat, you feel something in your stomach, but you're not certain whether you pass gas or not. Continue your prayer And don't leave your salat Until you are certain that you have passed gas Or you are certain you have broken your wudu And likewise the opposite If you are certain that you broke your wudu But you have doubts as to whether you made it Then you do not enter into the salat Until you have certainty that you are upon purification And you go and make purification Then you make your prayer and as well as in other aspects of the deen, certainty is not to be removed by doubt. So Al-Hasan, radiallahu an, he is the grandson of the Prophet sallallahu and he heard this narration when he was young. And he narrated this narration to others. And this is from the virtues of the family of the Prophet wasallam, that they preserve the sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad wasallam and relay the sunnah to the rest of the Muslims. A benefit from this narration 
that this narration teaches us to have piety and to have the taqwa of Allah as it relates to doubtful matters. And sometimes the doubts are strong and sometimes the doubts are weak. However, whoever stays away from that which is doubtful, period, then this individual will save himself from possibly falling into the haram. And we covered that if a person doesn't feel comfortable with an affair, leave it off. As the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he mentioned, Al-Bir husn al-khuluq wal-ithma haqa fi sadrik wa karihta an yattali'a alayhi nas That righteousness is good character and sin is that which wavers in the chest. I mean, you don't feel comfortable with it. Sin is that which wavers in the chest and you dislike for the people to find out about it. I mean, you wouldn't want nobody to know that you're doing that thing. This is an indication that this is something that's not correct in the deen. Or in another narration, we have the Sahabi Wabisa ibn Ma'bad. He came to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and the Prophet said, or he came to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and said, Jitta, or the Prophet said to him, you have come to ask me about righteousness and about sin and then Wabisa he said naam yes I have and then he said ya Wabisa istafti qalbak oh Wabisa ask your heart wastafti nafsak and ask your soul thalatha marrat he mentioned this three times ask your heart ask your soul ask your heart ask your soul ask your heart ask your soul albir he said O Wabisa Ask your heart And ask your soul Righteousness is that which the soul is at ease with and sin is that which wavers in the soul. And the heart is in between, going back and forth. And this is even if the people give you a fatwa telling you it's okay. It still doesn't sit right. It still doesn't sit right. So that which the heart is at ease with and the soul is at ease with, then this is a matter which there is no doubt on it. And this is what the hadith is establishing. The scholars, they say, be, but be aware of having this false type of piety. And what they say is the false type of piety is that you find an individual when it comes to like intricate matters or matters of lesser importance you find them oh no I don't want to get involved in that but then at the same time clearly indulging in that which is from the major sins or known to be haram so they said that this is like this false type of piety So the scholars, they have warned against this. The scholars give the example, you may have people who are making hajj. And the person says, I scratched my head and a piece of hair fell out. But yet, he's doing something else that's clearly haram. And of course, as we know, everything in Islam is important. But you find some people who their focus is on the lesser issues of importance and they ignore the greater issues of importance. And they're saying 
their avoidance of these lesser issues of importance is due to their fear of Allah. Okay, if you truly fear Allah, then what about the greater issues? Why not stay away from those things first and foremost? There is a narration in the Sahih of Imam Bukhari where a man he asked Abdullah ibn Umar about killing a mosquito while one is in the state of ihram. So he said, Mimman and where are you from? Which people are you from? I'm from the people of Iraq. قال انظروا إلى هذا يسألني عن دم البعودة وقد قتلوا ابن وقد قتلوا ابن ابنتي رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم. وسمعت النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يقول هما ريحانتايا من الدنيا أو من نعم من الدنيا. So the man he asks. Abdullah ibn Umar about killing a mosquito while in the state of ihram. Meaning, does he have to pay a penalty for killing a mosquito? So Abdullah ibn Umar said, Where are you from? Which people are you from? From the people of Iraq. Abdullah ibn Umar said, Look at this individual. He's asking me about the blood of the mosquito when these individuals. Killed the grandson of the Messenger And I heard the Prophet say that they are my two Rayhans from the life of this world, meaning Al Hassan and Al Hussein, his two grandsons, they were like the delight, like the flower, the beauty of his eyes, that which he loved. And the people of Iraq, they killed the grandson of the Prophet. A person coming from Iraq asking about the blood of a mosquito. So the scholars they say Abdullah bin Umar reprimanded him for having this type of quote unquote piety regarding a weak doubt. Rather, it is upon the individual to show piety first and foremost when it comes to that which is clearly haram, staying away from it. And likewise with the doubtful matters. But don't be a person who stays away from the doubtful matters, but yet you're falling into the clear matters of haram. Stay away from both. But more so the clear matters of haram first and foremost. Now, another point, Barakallah Fikum, the scholars they differ, is a person to pay attention to the heart <coughs> meaning by this going back to the previous narrations where the Prophet Sallallahu told the companion ask your heart ask your soul so is the person to just depend upon this alone The scholars, they say, that the people of Iman, the people who have insight in the deen, people who, are, who have knowledge of the deen, these are the ones who look at their hearts and their souls. Not a person who's ignorant of the deen. Because the person who is grounded upon knowledge, when he asks his heart or he looks into his heart and soul, 
it's the knowledge that he has of the deen that's causing him to feel uncomfortable with an affair or to be comfortable with an affair. As for someone who doesn't know no better, he may view right as wrong and wrong as right. He doesn't have knowledge. So this is not for every individual. And likewise, you have individuals who are quote-unquote career criminals. Their hearts are hard. So these individuals have been overcome by their desires. And there is a beautiful statement from Sheikh al-Islam regarding the individual who has been overcome by his desires regarding the individual who has been overcome by his desires the person who has been overcome by his, his shahwa, his desires, you find that this individual, his affairs become mixed up. They're not the same anymore. Before, this individual is upon uprightness, this individual is striving to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This individual, you know, he stays away from the haram. But then once the individual has been overcome by his desires, you find him being the opposite. Because now what's important to him is fulfilling his desires. And doing what makes him feel good Even If an individual uh, Is destroyed by that Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah Rahimahullah ta'ala He states insan Iza fasadat nafsuhu Wa Yashtahi ma yadurruhu ويلتذ به بل يعشق ذلك عشقا يفسد عقله ودينه وخلقه وبدنه وماله Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah says when the person's soul or state of mind has become corrupt he will desire that which harms him and he will find delight in it rather he will love it with a love that will corrupt his intellect his religion his character, his body, and his wealth. Again, when the person's soul or state of mind has become corrupt, he will desire that which harms him. When his soul becomes corrupted or his mind state becomes corrupt, he's going to desire that which will harm him. And he's going to find delight in it. Is this type of person to ask his heart and his soul? No. He's corrupted. So that hadith of ask your heart, ask your soul, doesn't apply to people like this. It's not for them. It's for people who, who are righteous. And may Allah Azza make us from amongst the righteous. But this is for people who have piety in the deen, knowledge in the deen. So, well, insani that fasadat nafsuhu. وَمِزَاجُهُ يَشْتَهِي مَا يَدُرُّهُ وَيَلْتَذُّ بِهِ بَلْ يَعْشُقُ ذَلِكُ عِشْقًا يُفْسِدُ عَقْلَهُ وَدِينَهُ وَخُلُقَهُ بَدَنَهُ وَمَالَهُ So when a person's soul or state of mind has become corrupt, he will desire that which harms him and find delight in it. Rather, he will love it with a love that will corrupt his intellect, it will corrupt his religion, it will corrupt his character, it will corrupt his body as well as his wealth. We have another statement 
from Ibn Aum Rahimahullah Ta'ala Qala idha ghalab al-hawa ala al-qalb Istahsana ar-rajulu ma kana yastaqbihu That when Ibn Aum he stated whenever the desires overcome the heart the person will find good in that which he used to deem to be repugnant Meaning the things that he didn't like before That he viewed to be haram And he used to stay away from He's going to look at those things as being good now Because what? The desires have overcome his heart This type of individual is not to ask his heart Because his heart is corrupted His heart is corrupted So the people who are of the people of piety, the people of righteousness and the likes, these are the ones, the people of knowledge and the deen, these are the people who can ask their heart. Because look at who the Prophet said this to. A companion. Not just anybody. A companion. From the companions. And they are the best of the people. They were individuals, mashallah, they feared Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, striving to get closer to Allah. Individuals had a love for the knowledge and they learned from the Prophet. This is the type of individual the Prophet said, Ask your heart. We move on to Al Hadith Al Thani Ashur. Ana bi Hurayrata radiyallahu an, Anna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam qal. من حسن إسلام المرء تركه ما لا يعنيه حديث حسن وراه الترمذي وغيره هكذا. This narration is on the authority of Abu Huraira that the Messenger صلى الله عليه وسلم said, from the goodness of a person's Islam is that he leaves off that which doesn't concern him. Imam Nawawi he said this is a good hadith. And it has been narrated by At-Tirmidhi and other than him. You have some of the ulama of hadith. They say that this, this narration is a well-known famous narration. However, the chain of the narration is weak. Due to some of the individuals in the chain. So they say that the narration is not authentic. And others from the scholars, they say that the narration is a good narration due to the support and chains. That each of the chains, although they have weakness in it, they strengthen one another and raise the narration up to being a good narration. And Allah knows best. This narration, Barakallah Fikum, from the goodness of a person's Islam is that he leaves alone which that which doesn't concern him. This narration is a support for the previous narrations. Leave alone which makes you doubt for that which doesn't make you doubt. And also the narration and whoever stays away from the doubtful matters, then he has freed himself regarding his religion and his honor. So this narration from the goodness of a person's Islam is that he leaves alone that which does not concern him. The statement from the goodness of the person's Islam, the person meaning the Muslim, whether male or female The one who is responsible And who is responsible in Islam? What makes a person accountable in Islam? Huh? Say that again No, what makes a person accountable in Islam? Oh. What? Huh? The person has reached puberty What else? Person has reached puberty. Sick. 
We majnoon. Ahsan. The person has a sound state of mind. A person, he has tamiz, he can distinguish between right and wrong. A person is in a state of puberty and the Muslim. These are the three most important aspects. Al-Islam, Al-Bulu, wa Tamiz. Islam, that the person is a Muslim. Al-Bulu, the person has reached the state of puberty. What Tamiz, the person uh, can distinguish between right and wrong. The person is in a right state of mind. This is what makes a person responsible in Al-Islam. Once the, how is puberty reached? Naam, ihtilam. If a child has a wet dream, male or female, that child is in puberty, regardless of the age. What else? Over 18? For sure over 18. But before that, before that age, a little lesser. Huh? No, no, no. The age is lesser than 18. The age of puberty is lesser than 18. What's the age? 13? No. One more. What's the age of puberty? 13. Huh? No, he said 30. It's not 13, it's not 18. 15. 15. And the proof of that is some of the young companions. They wanted to participate in the battle, but they were 14 years old. And the Prophet sent them back. And then the next year, when they were 15, the Prophet allowed them to participate. One more aspect. No, not there. <laughs> not those hairs, the other hairs, the pubic hairs. And not one hair and two hairs. Like the hair that you will have to shave. The sprouting of the pubic hairs is a sign that the child has reached puberty. And this is for male and female. And the proof of that, when the Jews broke the treaty, and the Prophet Wasallam went to deal with the men. The young boys, they, their trousers were checked to see if they were in puberty or not. And if they were in puberty, then they were put with the men. There's one more thing as it relates to the females. The same thing, the same three for the females, but they have one added. Al-Hayd, Ahsant. Menstruation. Once a female begins to menstruate, she's in puberty. Even if she's nine years old, 10 years old, 11 years old. And this is important for those of us who have daughters, that if our daughters start to menstruate at a younger age, then they have to wear hijab, they have to make salat, they have to fast Ramadan, they're responsible now. Sometimes the parents only look at the aspect of the age of 15. That's one of the things. Any one of these things happen first, the child is in puberty. So if the child has a wet dream first, the child is in puberty. If the child doesn't have a wet dream but then reaches 15, the child is in puberty. If the child doesn't reach 15, doesn't have a wet dream, but then the pubic hairs have sprouted, the child is in puberty. If none of those three things happen and then the female child has her menstruation, she's in puberty. So these are the matters which establish puberty. But before a child reaches puberty, the pen is lifted. As the Prophet Sallallahu mentioned in his narrations on the authority of Ali ibn Abi Talib, an The pen is lifted from three. Uh, the pen is lifted from three categories of people. The child until the child reaches puberty. <coughs> the sleeping person until the person awakes from his or her sleep and the person who is majnoon, the person who is insane until they gain their senses back so any no. one more time, one more time, the last one. One more time. 
المجنون حتى يفيق the, the crazy person until the person gains their senses back the pen is lifted what's meant by the pen is lifted from them meaning that their bad deeds are not written if a child commits a sin the sin is not written against the child a person is sleeping and the person says a bad thing words in their sleep it's not against them a person is majnoon and, and, and does something uh, haram it's not counted against them the pen is lifted from them and this is from the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that the pen is lifted from these three categories of people but now if a child does something good alhamdulillah the child is rewarded is written for the child now yes if the wife hears some words he better pray he say the right thing in his sleep right <laughs> but she can't hold that against him right she can't hold that against him because it's in his sleep now that doesn't mean he's not telling on himself but <laughs> she can't hold it against him the person is sleeping the person is not in, is not conscious you know in the sense of what they're doing but the prophet sallallahu his eyes sleep but his heart doesn't sleep that's one of the special characteristics of the prophet sallallahu and this is why when a person goes into deep sleep it breaks the wudu you don't know what has, what has happened once you go to sleep you, you could have passed gas you could have done something else to nullify your wudu and you don't even know so this is why sleep is one of the nullifiers of deep sleep that is there are two types of sleep you have light sleep and the light sleep is that a person is, is sleeping but kind of conscious of what's going on around so they give you Muhammad yes you pop up like that Abdullah, yeah, yes, he's not in the deep sleep. But a person who's in a deep sleep, that sleep breaks the wudu. When they wake up, they have to make wudu. So in that state, person, the pen is lifted from the person. The person's not held accountable in that state. No. And again, that's a mercy uh, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Look what the Prophet said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, إِذَا اسْتَيْخَذَ أَحَدَكُمْ مِنْ نَوْمِهِ فَلَا يَغْمِسْ يَدَهُ فِي الْإِنَاءِ حَتَّى يَغْسِلَهَا ثَلَاثَ مَرَّاتِ فَإِنَّهُ لَا يَدْرِي أَيْنَ بَاتَتْ يَدُهُ That when a person wakes up from his sleep, he should not put his hand inside of the vessel until he washes his hands three times. For indeed he doesn't know where his hand spent the night. The shahid here, فَإِنَّهُ لَا يَدْرِي He doesn't know. When you're in that deep sleep, you don't know what's going on. Around you, Prophet said, "Indeed, he doesn't know where his hand ain't a bat to the other. He doesn't know where his hand spent the night." One man in the time of the Salaf, he heard this narration, and he like made mockery of the narration. This is after Prophet sallallahu and he said, "Amma ana, faadri ain't a bat to the other. I know where my hand slept." So Allah punished him the next morning and, and made him to wake up with his hand stuck inside of his rectum. Nah. So من حسن الإسلام المرئي تركه ما لا يعنيه So from the goodness of a person's Islam meaning from the good practice or a person being a good Muslim is that he abandons that which doesn't concern him, any from statements and from actions. Whatever does not concern you, whatever does not benefit you, leave it alone. The greatest of that which concerns the Muslim is his relationship with Allah. Busy yourself with that. Busy yourself with that which is going to benefit you in the dunya, and more importantly in your deen because we don't abandon that which is which benefits us in our dunya we are in need of the worldly affairs to continue on with our lives so yes we busy ourselves with work and earning an honest living this is from the affairs of the dunya 
But the most important aspect is that we busy ourselves with our deen. And this is the greatest of that which concerns us, the tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, fulfilling our purpose in life. As Allah mentions, وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجَنَّةِ وَإِنْسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ And I have not created the jinn nor the mankind except to worship me. Be mindful not to waste the time with that which is of no benefit. Allah Azza wa Jal, He swears by the time. Wala asr. Inna al-insana lafi khus illa ladina amanu wa aminu salihat wa tawasu bil haqi wa tawasu bil sab. Allah swears by the time, by the time, verily, all of mankind is in loss except for those who believe and do righteous deeds and encourage one another with the truth and encourage one another with patience. The ulama, they mention that whenever Allah swears by something, it is an indication of the importance of that thing. So time is important. And some say, Al-Asr here is Salat Al-Asr, or the time of Salat Al-Asr. Some say it's time generally, because your life takes place within the time. So Allah swears by the time due to the importance of time. Shaykh al-Islam Ibn Qayyim al-Jawziya Rahimahullah Ta'ala He mentioned Diyaw al-Waqt al-Shaddu min al-Mawt Lianna al-Mawt Yaqta'uka an al-Dunya Wa diyaw al-Waqt Yaqta'uka an al-Lah That wasting time Is more severe than death Wasting time is more severe than death Because death It cuts you off from the life of this world Once you die, that's it The life of this world is over You move on to the next life That's death But wasting time Cuts you off from Allah And we know that On the day of judgment A person's feet will not move until Allah asks him about his life, his youth, right, his wealth, where did he get it from and how did he spend it? And Allah will ask him about his knowledge. What did he do with the knowledge that he learned? These are very important matters. Allah is going to ask you about your life. How did you live? And then specifically, how did you spend your youth? Youth is from the life, but you're going to be asked specific, or we are going to be asked specifically about our youth. And then the person is asked about the money. Where is the money from? Is it halal, haram? How did you earn it? Right? Where did he earn it and what did he spend it on? Right? What did he do with the knowledge that he learned? These are things Allah will question us about. The Prophet وسلم, also mentioned Take advantage of five things before five things come. Take advantage of your youth before your old age. Take advantage of your health before your sickness. Take advantage of your free time before becoming preoccupied. Take advantage of your richness before your poverty. And take advantage of your life before your death. So five things. The Prophet said, take advantage of before five other things come. So we see the importance of time and the importance of busying yourself with that which is of benefit and not wasting the time. Whoever busies himself with sins and following his lowly desires, then this individual is wasting his life. Look at the Prophet said, خَيْرٌ nas مَنْ طَالَ عُمْرُهُ وَحَسُنَ عَمَلُهُ وَالشَّرُّ nas مَنْ طَالَ عُمْرُهُ وَسَاءَ عَمَلُهُ SubhanAllah. The best of the people is the one who has a long life and his actions are good. 
So he takes advantage of his life by doing good. It's the best of the people. He lives a long time and his actions are good. So the longer he's living, the more good he's doing. So this is mantala umruhu wa hasuna amruhu. Say that again. If a person makes dua for longer life, let him add to it long life upon goodness. Not longer life upon sin and transgression. You understand? Some people, the longer they live, the worse it gets for them. As the Prophet said, and the worst of the people are those who live long and their actions are evil. It's better the person dies so that they don't increase in evil. So some people, with their long life, they have a lot of good. So the longer they live, the better it is for them because they are doing good day after day, day in and day out. And then you have others, the longer they live, the more evil they do, the more sin they pile up, the more transgression they fall into, the more people they steal from, the more people they curse, the more people they kill, the more people they violate, the longer they live. So everybody's life is not good. Just because the person lives for a long time, that's a misconception. Oh, he person lived a good life, he lived a long life. It's maybe not a good life though. The true good life is the person is living upon Iman and living upon righteous actions. As the Prophet, as Allah Azza wa Jal mentions, uh, Whoever does good deeds, whether it is a male or a female, and the person is a believer, we will cause them to live a good life. See, the good life is based upon two matters. The true good life is having iman and having righteous actions. Just because a person has wealth doesn't mean he's living a good life. That's a misconception, a real misconception. Because how many people with money are miserable? They're missing something. Missing faith. They're missing righteous actions. So the true good life is having Iman and Amr al-Saleh. Al-Amr al-Saleh, the righteous actions. But the person who busies his life with al-ma'asi, uh, sins, dhunub, shahawat, the lowly desires and the likes, this person is wasting his life. Person is wasting his life. You have some people, their lives have become busy with bid'ah. Their practice of Islam is a practice other than what the Prophet Wasallam taught. This is not good for them. This is why it's important that we concern ourselves with following the Sunnah. We concern ourselves with Allah, meaning that we're worshipping Allah alone, and we also concern ourselves with the Prophet Muhammad Wasallam that we're following his Sunnah. You have individuals who waste their lives worshipping other than Allah, right? Waste. Worshipping Buddha, worshipping Jesus, worshipping the cow, worshipping shaitan. At the end of the day, wasting their lives worshipping other than Allah. And then you have those who they don't worship other than Allah. However, they worship Allah upon other than what he legislated. So now the ibadah is becoming wasted. Because the Prophet ﷺ clearly stated, Man amila amanan laysa alayhi amruna rad. That whoever does an action that, is, that does not have our affair over it, meaning it is not in accordance to Islam, is rejected. So you have people working hard and doing a lot of ibadah, but the ibadah is based upon bid'ah. There's no benefit in it. So you'll find individuals, as an example, they pray the thousand raka'ahs of, what's that, the middle of, um, what is it, Sha'ban? The thousand raka'ahs in the middle of the Sha'ban. Huh? 
Right, but then they won't pray the 12 extra raka'ah in a day, which we have a narration where the Prophet mentioned whoever prays those 12 raka'ah, Allah will build for him a house in paradise. So the person is up all night praying, thousand raka'ah, tired, reciting Quran, mouth dry and everything, no benefit. And then that which is at the person's ability to do every day, to pray 12 extra raka'ah, two raka'ah before Fajr, four raka'ah before Dhuhr, two raka'ah after Dhuhr, two raka'ah after Maghrib, and two raka'ah after Isha. Whoever prays these 12 extra raka'ah, clear hadith. They abandon that. They abandon that. And in this house that's built in Jannah, it's not just one house. Meaning every day you pray the 12 extra raka'ah, that's one house. You pray it another day, that's another house. You pray it another day, that's a, another house. Right? So all of those who's interested in real estate, here you go. Right? Real real estate, right? People want to be real estate tycoons. Tayyip, keep praying. <laughs> pray the 12 extra raka, you want to have a lot of homes waiting for you, right? SubhanAllah. And you want to have a lot of time to be in each home. This is forever. Paradise. No, you don't rent. You own. Huh? No, no, it's yours. It's yours. It's no written out. It's yours. Right? And you want to enjoy every house. SubhanAllah. That's a mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He rewards you for your efforts. But He doesn't reward you for the bid'ah. Allah didn't legislate that. We have enough in the legislation to busy us than to be trying to do something that Allah didn't even legislate. And looking for things to do that we don't find in the Quran and we don't find from the teachings of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu Wallahi what's in the Quran and what's from the teachings of the Prophet sallallahu it suffices us, it's enough for us. No. Allah musta'an. That's, uh, that's an example. Those who uh, they put forth efforts in the life of this world but it's wasted. But they think that they're doing good. Yes, the people that innovation fall under this category. But sometimes people, they do bidyah without knowing it. Okay, well, this, there's no sin on them. Some people do bidah and it's a sin along with the action rejected. And some people do bidah where there's no sin because they don't know better, but the action is still not accepted. Excuse me. Yes. Inheriting the power from your father. Isn't that Bidah? Inheriting? Yes. The power? Like when a person dies, his son become ruled. Isn't that Bidah? A, a son? Did No. Did Omar did that? No. Did Rutman did that? No. Why don't you talk about this Bidah? No. When a, a king died, give his child, his son, inherit the whole country. Why don't you please, one day, not today, I'm sorry to interrupt. We just want you to talk about this video. You sorry? Thank you very much. Oh, yeah, come on. How much time is left? No, 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 alhamdulillah. Before someone can speak about bid'ah, they should know the definition of bid'ah. Al bid'ah fi deen is that a person comes with a matter in the religion that resembles the Sharia, and they, but is not from the Sharia, and they're using it to get closer to Allah. That's number one. That's the definition of bid'ah in the deen. That a person comes with a matter in the religion. A prayer, a matter of fasting, a matter of belief. It resembles the legislation, but it's not actually the legislation. I Meaning there's really no proof for it. It resembles something from the legislation, but it's not. And there's no previous practice from the Prophet of doing so. And the person is doing it 
to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's bid'ah. You can find that in the book Al-I'tisam by Imam al-Shatibi. Sheikh, you said you're sorry. You said you're sorry. Yeah, brother, excuse me. Leave him, leave him, leave him, leave him, leave him. You leave him, leave him, leave him, leave him. can inherit power your father is not there. Is that what you said? Given... I'm going to answer oh, you. No, I'm just answer this one. Is it Veda? Yes. Now I'm ignorant, okay? You are a scholar. You know better than I'm me. I'm not a scholar. Answer this question. When person died and his son inherits power, like Saudi Arabia, isn't that Veda? Yes oh, or no? Okay. Okay. Lebet, 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 Lebet. I'm ready I'm going. I'm going to answer. I'm, I'm, I'm going. I'm going to answer. I'm going to answer. I'm going to answer. Relax. Shake, 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 shake. Relax. Relax. I'm going to answer. But he's leaving. Fire. No, 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 no. Let's listen. Leave, leave, leave him. Khalas. For the brothers who's here, because what he did, he threw a doubt out there now. So now the people going home, wait a minute, that's bid'ah. So we have to address it. In Islam, in Islam, okay, let us No, I have to answer. In Islam, in Islam, listen, relax, relax, brothers. In Islam, there are three ways that a person comes to the seat of power. Number one, by shura. Shura. Like Abu Bakr. Abu Bakr came to power by shura. Even though the Prophet ﷺ hinted towards Abu Bakr being the leader. How? By telling tell Abu Bakr to lead the Salat, like the days before he died. That was an indication he wanted Abu Bakr to be the leader. But there was a shura that picked Abu Bakr. The second way somebody becomes the leader is when the current leader passes the leadership to somebody else. Like who? When Abu Bakr passed it to Umar. There was no shura. There was no shura. Abu Bakr passed that leadership to Umar. And the third way, which is not correct, is that people take the leadership by force. That's wrong. People rebel and revolt and take the leadership by force. But once the person has the leadership, khalas, that's it. It's done. It's done. Those are the three ways that a person becomes a ruler or a leader in Islam. So if a person is the current leader and he decides to pass the leadership to someone else, this is one of the legislative ways of leadership, like Abu Bakr passed it to Umar. Barakallahu feekum, subhanakallahu, alhamdulillah, shahadu wa lala,